0: Hey, welcome to Church in the Mall, welcome home. We are in our new normal series where we're exploring the book of Acts. We are in chapter five today, which has a very interesting story about a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. This is a picture painted by Raphael that depicts the scene. And just as a quick spoiler, what ends up happening is these two bring a gift offering to God. And that offering is to support the people of this new community called the church, which are followers of Jesus Christ but they lie to the Holy Spirit, and in doing so, it costs them something, and in this case, their lives. Now, that sounds so radical, and a lot of people may ask the question, how can a good God and a loving God allow something like this to happen? Well, today, we're going to explore that, but before we do, we are going to jump back in time into Leviticus uh, chapter 9 and 10. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip there. And what I love about Leviticus chapter 9 is it's The depiction of the first priesthood, this is uh, Moses having led the people out of Egypt now to Mount Sinai. They now worship in the presence of God. They've begun to build this tabernacle, which is a place of worship, and it looks something like this. And that is where the Israelites would gather around to experience the presence of God. And over the Holy of Holies, you see this pillar of smoke. It was smoke by day, fire by night, and they knew the presence of the Lord was there. And just in front of it right here is this altar in which they would offer sacrifices, burnt offerings to God. And as the Israelites are expanding into this new kingdom concept of God, He lays out very specific reasons of what the priests are going to do in chapter 9 and 10. But what we're going to find is this holy and set apart God who has shown himself to his people in order to use his people to help go forth and invite other nations to come and know him, presents himself in this fashion that looks almost like a king. So if you rode upon this tent in the desert, you would say, wow, a king dwells there and then you would see the pillar of fire smoke and you might even ask yourself, does a God live there? So as God is laying out this ramifications for what needs to happen, all the Israelites are gathered together and Aaron has been selected to be a priest and all his children and his children's children. And they will continue on in that priesthood fashion throughout time and history. Well, they're putting together a sin offering and a burnt offering, and then they're asking the Israelites to put together their own sin offering and burnt offering and grain offering. And the idea here is that they're making themselves ready to experience the presence of God. And so these burnt offerings were ways to say, God, we believe that everything we have has been given to us by you. And so we give back a one tenth of everything that we have to you. And so it's always in this way of an animal without defect. A perfect offering, a holy and set-apart offering for a holy and set-apart God. And then as the Israelites are preparing their offerings, they often prepare a grain offering, which was an offering for the temple, or in this case, the tabernacle, which was used specifically for the priests to be able to hand out. And so as all this is happening, I love this line in verse 5, They took the things Moses commanded to the front of the tent of the meeting, and the entire assembly of Israelites came near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. And So this is a way in which the people would interact and, and step into a relationship with God. Now, Obviously, as Christians today, we know that this is but a shadow of what's to come, that Christ becomes the ultimate fulfillment. Not only does he become that ultimate sacrifice that makes a way for us so that no other sacrifice could ever outdo his. So it's the ultimate atoning sacrifice. But he then becomes our high priest. He becomes the person in which we interact with, who introduces us and invites us into that relationship with God the Father and that this will last for all eternity we are in perfect relationship through jesus christ and his promise now resides in us through the holy spirit and so in this scene god is depicting this incredible encounter of his presence with the people showing them that this offering is in fact good and acceptable but something goes wrong aaron has two sons Nadab and Abihu, or Abihu, and they're very unique names. But what these two men do is instead of going into the Holy of Holies and taking a burnt coal off the altar and then starting the fire for the altar outside for everybody, showing the presence of God coming into the scene with the people, engaging the people with that presence, creating a fire with that presence, and then burning up the offering, they simply light a fire. And they intermix it with things that are inappropriate. And so what they've done is they've, taken a holy God and removed the holiness piece, and they've instead inserted themselves to tell God as if this is how we want to do it. Well, in doing so, fire leaps off the altar, and instead of consuming just the things the people offered to God, it consumes the two sons. And it's a horrific incident in which the power of God leaps forth and takes to people's lives who are misusing and even abusing the presence of God. Now, Moses says this in chapter 10 to his brother Aaron. This is what the Lord spoke to us when he said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honored. Now, after something like this happens, the Israelites always come back to home or center, and they realize that they're dealing with a holy God. A scary God in some respects, but not the kind of scary uh, of being in fear and cowering, but the kind of scare or fear that we attain to reverence. I love in The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe when Absalom is questioned, you know, is he a good lion? He represents the God character in the story. He says, yes, I'm good. And he says, oh, are you a tame lion? And he says, no, I'm a dangerous lion. It's that idea of God's power and his holiness being something far outside what you and I can obtain just in our normal human stature. But through the power of Jesus Christ in our lives, we now take up a spot with him in heaven and we're invited into the family of God. And this is important because now as we jump back into our Acts passage we're gonna look at how this is a question of whether do we deny or embrace the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in our lives. So again, back to that beautiful picture that Raphael painted. Here is this wonderful scene, uh, and I'm gonna be reading it for you uh, out of the NIV. It says now, uh, if we back up into chapter four, verse 32, we're gonna see a little bit of the backstory that helps to paint a better picture of what's happening in chapter five. So let's start there. All the believers, so that's all the people that have come to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit has now indwelled or taken up residence inside of them, are now there together in one heart and mind, the mind of Christ. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all as a community. There was no needy person among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales, and they put them at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, all of a sudden, a character is going to come on the scene. His name's Joseph, and we'll know him as Barnabas. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned, brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, the background of what's happening here is as these Jews are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, they're no longer being accepted as Jews. And so they're being uh, booted out or excommunicated or or just flat out ignored in their community and their synagogues. That means that many of their businesses are probably suffering. Uh, Many of them may have even lost their jobs because of it. And this community of believers has come around them to say, we are going to take care of you the way Christ takes care of us. And so they're providing uh, money and finances and food to protect and take care of these people's lives. And Barnabas does this out of just the generosity of his heart. I'm going to sell this enormous field worth quite a bit of money. And I'm going to lay all of it at the apostles' feet. In other words, I'm going to trust this local church community to do what they will with my offering to God. And that they'll take care of others with it. Well, in verse 5, chapter 1 picks up like this. Now, there's a man named Ananias, Um, that means um, full of grace, together with his wife Sapphira, and her name means beautiful, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, what's happening here is Ananias and Sapphira have made a boast before the community. We will sell our land just like Barnabas, and we will give all the proceeds to the church. And people who were applauding Barnabas' faith are now applauding these people, and they probably like the accolades. Now, at this point, everything they own belongs to them. There isn't a single apostle that has asked them to do this. Nobody in the community has asked them to do this. This is simply a gift, an offering to God that they're making. But as they sold their land, they decided that they would keep back some for themselves. Now, what that means is that they began to lie about how much they're going to give the church. Now, I think this is so funny because originally they owned the land. Once they sold the land, they then owned the money from the land. All they had to do was say, you know what? We changed our minds. We're going to keep a certain part of it just to make sure that we have enough money for what we need to do. But they didn't. They kept boasting about how great they are by giving this huge gift to the church community. Well, Peter catches wind of this through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of him. Something just doesn't resonate right. And it says, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Now he'll go into explaining it. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to man, but to God. So in other words, you're boasting against the power and the presence of God. Now, Ananias and Sapphira are a part of the church community, meaning that they have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside of them. And they're living in this incredible experience of the early church, uh, which is a representation of God's kingdom here on earth. So everybody's needs are being met and taken care of. They're in perfect relationship with each other and with God. And all of a sudden, these two bring lying and deceit into the church. When Ananias heard these words from Peter's mouth, he was filled with fear and he fell down and he died. And that same fear began to seize all who were there and saw and witnessed what happened. Then some young men came forward. They wrapped up his body and carried it out to bury him. About three hours later, his wife came in Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Now tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Why, yes, she said. That is the price. And Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are now at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that very moment, she fell down at her feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Now, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events and, and breaks there. Now, what is so interesting to me as we look at this thinking, how on earth could God do such a thing? But in the same way that God disciplined the Israelites and Aaron's sons who knew full well the proper and correct way that God needed to be represented so that his presence could be with the people that day, they abused it. And they faced a consequence of death. In the same way Ananias and Sapphira, who are representing the presence of God before the people and wanting to honor God by making this gift, lie about it to boast about how great they are instead of the God who lives in them. And it isn't about grace at all, it's about them getting recognition. And so they are blaspheming the presence of God in their lives, and in doing so it will cost them their life because our God is not a tame lion. He's a strong, fearful lion, one that we keep and hold in reverence, knowing full well that his grace is available, but that he's not to be trifled with in that way. The next scene in verse 12, it says, The apostles perform many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Now, last Sunday, if you were with us, we realized that this is the temple during their time, the second temple period, and around it is this beautiful colonnade. And just to the front, and better seen in this picture on the east side, is Solomon's porch or colonnade. And this is where the disciples would go and they would worship in the temple. Then they would come and gather in this area to teach and to speak and to ask questions and to even do uh, healings. And at this point, they're all meeting together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. That means people are holding God in such reverence, they're almost afraid to join this group. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their numbers daily. In other words, even though they didn't join their numbers, people found God in their experience and presence with him. As a result, people brought the sick in the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that perhaps even uh, Peter's shadow would come across them. That's how much people wanted to see the power of God, and that's how much the power of God was working through these people. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. And again, uh, just being reminded of what Christ encourages uh, the people to do in Acts. He says, wait for the Holy Spirit and when the Spirit comes, you'll be my witness in Jerusalem and then Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. And we talked about this in the temple that this heart where God is, is Jerusalem. And then we step outside into Judea and Samaria and then we step out into the court of Gentiles, which becomes the ends of the earth. Well. Just like that, Luke breaks down Acts into that same idea, and so here we are watching all of Jerusalem come alive with the power of God and the presence of him in their lives. Now, the question I think we might ask ourselves is, do we hold God in reverence, or do we just simply rely on on a very kind, comforting Jesus, which certainly he is, but do we hold him in the reverence and respect that he deserves? knowing full well that he is the author and sustainer of our lives and everything in this world, and that he controls these things, that he has power over such things that he could take our lives and, and he could ultimately destroy them if he wanted. But his promise tells us that he doesn't want to do that, but that he promises to bring us into his presence in his kingdom through his son, Jesus Christ, for all those who believe are welcomed in as sons and daughters. So this week, as you're thinking about these scripture verses and perhaps rereading these chapters, I want you to think about the reverence of God. Do you hold God in reverence? Is he a God of power and might in this world? Go in the peace and love of Christ. Hey, if you have your communion elements, go ahead and grab them, and we're going to share some communion together. Today I've got my water, and I've got a little cookie here. But as we take this today, I want to remind you again of, of the promises of God. And as I break this, uh, this cracker, this cookie, we're reminded of Christ's body broken for us, that that promise was made whole in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross was enough. What he did in dying and giving his life for us was enough, and therefore God honored it and brought him back from the dead and resurrected him. In the same way as you and I trust in that, our lives will be honored and resurrected because of what Christ did. Take and eat and be thankful for the resurrection of Jesus in your life. Now, Jesus takes a cup at the Last Supper and giving thanks to God uses it like a metaphor in the sense that the grapes that were crushed to produce that wine, his body would also have to be crushed. And so as he takes and hands this wine to the disciples to drink, he says, take and drink and remember me, my lifeblood poured out for you. What a great reference to this temple that's standing behind me here, that God required a blood sacrifice for the sins of humanity and that Christ paid that ultimate sacrifice. And just like when the priest would say it is finished, Christ on the cross says it is finished now and forever and it will never cease being finished. My friends, drink. Drink. In the love of Christ knowing that his sacrifice finished it for you and for me. You know, this concludes our morning together, but I want to just do a little bit of housekeeping. Hopefully you caught some of the information last week. But just as a reminder, um, during this pandemic, we are going to keep the church closed through uh, into September. Uh, There will be more dates to follow, but we are going to be meeting uh, in July and August outside. Please look for those dates on our calendar, and if you call Church in the Mall your home, um, please send in your gifts, your tithes, and your offerings so that we can continue the ministry here at Church in the Mall. This is an opportunity for us to give back to all the good that God has done in our lives, and to see him work through it so that we might be in that same like-minded and like-heartedness of the early church, that together our tithes, our offerings, our gifts are going back into the kingdom of God and the work that he is doing here on this earth through this community. My friends, again, the links will be in the description below and you'll be more than adequate to figure out what we need to do next as you look at those pieces. Go in God's blessing and God's grace and we'll see you midweek on Wednesday with our next video.